are millennial nurses and how can we best support them to be the nursing leaders they're destined to be? Let's talk all about it with Australian nurse podcaster Star Dang, right here on episode 289 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion as we can in our special bonus COVID-19 episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you in your nursing career and personal development and discuss the issues that you care about and you need to hear about. I love having you along for the ride, whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or years. Thanks for being part of the Growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is, of course, all about you, your nursing career, and the healthcare system around the world. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, education, technology, medicine, and beyond. And did you know that Nurse Keith Coaching is a one-stop shop for all things related to your career? That's right. I offer individualized coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals around the world. And if you mention that you're a listener, you get 10% off your first coaching package. Email me today at keith at nursekeith.com, schedule a complimentary consult, and make sure you tell me that you heard about it here on the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes for this episode will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 289. And today we're welcoming friend of the pod, Star Dang. She is the host of the Millennial Nurse podcast out of Sydney, Australia. And Star, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Keith. I am so excited to be on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And hello, everyone. Um, firstly, I'd like to just take this opportunity to say thank you, Keith, for having me on the show. Keith is such an amazing person and passionate about what he does. So thank you so much for having me on today's podcast. Oh, my gosh. I paid you well. Nicely done. Okay. So you. you are coming to us from down under from Australia. You're in Sydney, correct? That's right. Yes. Right. So we're going to be talking about things from your perspective, from the Southern Hemisphere, from Australia. And there are some terms that might come up that we might need to define or clarify for an audience that isn't familiar with Australian healthcare and culture. So we'll do our best to make sure those are clarified. And I just want to jump right into this and say that your podcast is called The Millennial Nurse. And why did you decide to launch a podcast specifically about the millennial generation in the nursing profession? Yeah, that's a really great question. So my podcast was really um, created, dedicated to millennial nurses who are in search of deep and meaningful conversations. So each week I dive deep into topics about, you know, career, personal growth and answering questions from the audience relating to nursing and career development. Um, the reason why I, I titled it as the Millennial Nurse Podcast is that I believe millennial nurses are the future of healthcare and we bring in a new style of leadership and just a different perspective and breathe in really fresh, innovative ideas to the profession and to the industry. And I'm really on a mission to bring together a generation of nurses that can lead change and inspire one another to achieve and grow together both professionally and personally. And so on my podcast, 
podcast, I interview a number of people who are either nurses themselves or people within the industry to share their knowledge and wisdom. That's wonderful. Now, are you specifically interviewing people who are millennials as well, or are you bringing in people of other generations in terms of your guests on the show? Yeah, so there's a mix of um, nurses who are millennials and currently working within the healthcare space as registered nurses or health professionals, as well as um, professionals that are in healthcare, um, such as recruiters or industry experts, uh, subject matter experts, as well as nurses who are previously um, you know, in um, nursing leadership roles that can share light and knowledge for the next generation of millennial nurses. I see. Now, when you talk to other millennial nurses, and you're a millennial yourself, so you have that identifier. Now, when you talk to them, what are some of the common issues that come up so that those of us who maybe don't completely understand the challenges that your generation is specifically facing in nursing and healthcare. What are some of the common common issues that you hear about? Yeah, I think um, one of the main, I guess, apparent stigmas that are um, associated with millennial nurses is that we are a generation of either being lazy or just self-entitled. And I really think that um, there is that misunderstanding from previous generation, our predecessors. Mm -hmm. And while, you know, millennial nurses, we love to be uh, innovative. We are, I would say, a generation that are quite entrepreneurial. And so um, integrating that into healthcare is something that I think is very new for most people. And so, some of the common um, things that I found um, as a millennial myself that I face is that um, previous generations are not understanding how or the way that we lead. We lead in a way that we value work-life balance and work-life integration, as well as um, working in a more technologically, um, you know, innovative mm-hmm. area. And that's where I find a lot of the challenges are, um, you know, we are more so outside the box thinking and the way that we approach things. And as a millennial nurse manager myself, some of the challenges that I have come across is that, um, you know, being quite younger, there is that that stigma of um, whether or not being a younger manager that I am capable. Um, and over the years that um, that I've been in this role, that I have been able to demonstrate that millennial nurses are very much so innovative, inspiring, and also are able to um, disrupt the way in which the current uh, operating models of the industry are um, working. Well said. Now, I've been talking about millennial nurses for a while because I happen to love your generation. You and I have already had a conversation about this. And I have many friends who are of your generation, and my son is 37, so he's one of the very, very oldest millennials out there, and being born, and he was born in 83, so that puts him at the very beginning of the demographic shift. So my, my observation, one, is that the older generations almost always disparage the younger generations. There's, I don't think there's ever a generation that doesn't do it, and your generation will probably do it about 
Generation Y or whatever they call the next generation. And some are probably already doing it. But the, the fact is that every generation comes from a different background, different societal pressures, different societal movements that are happening. And when people say things like, oh, those millennials and Gen Yers, they always have their device in their hands. And one of the first things I'll say is, well, who gave them those devices? Who actually created them? Their generation didn't create it. You foisted it upon them, you know? So, so people hold generations responsible for things that they're not responsible for. And the other thing I noticed that you just touched on, and I would like to talk about this more, you mentioned that millennials like to pursue work-life balance and they like to be innovative and they like to, to look at new ways of disrupting the old ways of doing things, right? So let's start with the work-life balance. I have heard those complaints that, oh, millennials don't want to do double shifts. They don't want to come in for mandatory overtime. They say, oh, sorry, it's my birthday tomorrow. I'm not going to come in just because you want me to. And I always say, well, good for them for actually standing up for themselves. So what do you see around personal boundaries and this whole idea of actually honoring one's needs and one's wellness. What do you see among millennials? Yeah, absolutely. What I see is that the the need for that work-life balance is really ingrained in the fact that we want to have longevity in our career and in our profession. Mm -hmm. And we want to make sure that, um, as cliche as it sounds, but we want to give from a full cup. And unfortunately, that cannot happen um, if we are constantly um, pressured working longer hours, um, not spending as much quality time with our family member or just not being able to have that self-care routine. And I talk a lot about that in my episodes. You that do. It's so, I, I do, yeah. Um, and I think it's it's such a critical element of the nursing profession. I feel that nurses, we are so good at looking after our patients and looking after you know, others, and we forget to kind of, you know, look within and really think, well, how can I look after myself so that I can give the best and the fullest to my patients and to my colleagues? And that's why I really think that our generation value that because we have seen the impacts of the lack of self-care from previous generations that we don't want to follow down that path. And we want to make sure that we're in a profession where, you know, the burnout rates are quite high. Um, and we want to be able to break away from that and really embrace a culture where, um, you know, being able to take a day off because it's your birthday becomes the norm and not the exception. See, I applaud that. I think that is fantastic. And I've written and spoken about this concept of the nurse martyr and nurse martyr syndrome. Do you feel that millennials are more open to not sacrificing themselves on the on the 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 pyre, the funeral pyre of their career, and that they're they they're just more open to to having firmer boundaries around their personal life? I think absolutely, absolutely. There is a movement within the millennial nurses where we see the need to be able to set those boundaries um, because I think what happens over time is that when the boundaries are not set and we're in a position where we're always saying yes to that extra shift or yes mm-hmm. to working overtime, 
that what it causes is that it causes the um, the morale to go down within the team or friction between team members because people are being overworked. And so the ability just to really be able to say, look, I'm tired. I need some time for myself um, to have a bit of a, a rest and relaxation day off so that I can come back into the, into the shift feeling more refreshed and 100%. And I think that quality of work uh, means so much. I see. So if among your generation, among millennials, there's this desire and, and dedication to taking care of oneself, where do you think that comes from? And why is it a generational norm that I actually think is a great norm to follow? I think where it comes from is we're living in a generation now where we are really much exposed to technology and exposed to the wider web where there are so many things and so many discussions, you know, your podcast, my podcast, where we talk about the need and the importance of self-care and perhaps in previous, um, there hasn't been much discussion about that as being a priority and having that as part of your um development, um, you know, personal growth as well, because what I see is that when, when we are able to look after ourselves, then what happens is that we are able to have more of a open mind to, um, being more innovative and not so being bogged down with being tired or, you know, having that, that kind of friction in the shifts because, you know, you're so tired, you don't really want to be there, but you feel like you have to be there. And so it's really now ingrained in our generation that self-care is important and that needs to come first. Um, our patients are important in that element as well, because I always say this, and even when I was working as a director of nursing, I've always said that happy staff equals happy patients. That's very well said. And I, I couldn't agree more. And that paradigm appears to be shifting with this new generation. Now, you are a nurse leader. You've mentioned that several times. And I understand from our previous wonderful conversation you and I had offline was that you're a clinical nurse educator, or you also said you're called a clinical practice improvement specialist, and you work in age care. Now, for those who do not live in Australia or not familiar with Australian healthcare, in Australian healthcare, um, the nomenclature, what does age care actually mean and what does it encompass for you in your particular role? Age care in Australia is a, um, a fantastic system. Um, in Australia, the way that it's set up is that a lot of the funding is um, from the government and we have... Um, Different. So at the moment, we've got different pathways in which um, a person can either go into aged care or they can stay at home and be looked after. I work as a clinical practice improvement specialist in a residential aged care space. And really in, in that particular space, um, you know, there is a lot of movement and a lot of uh, progression towards um, person-centered care and holistic care. And I feel like our industry, uh, we recently have had a royal commission into the aged care industry. So there's been a lot of disruption and there's been a lot of change within the industry to move it away from a very um, process-driven um, environment to a more so which means that our residents become the customer and the consumer and that they are given the choice to be involved in that care. And so the way that 
aged care now operates in Australia is that at every care plan that it's being developed, it is being developed in consultation with the resident and their representatives to ensure that the care goals are in alignment with what the residents are wanting. So it's really moving away from that traditional model in which we are developing on behalf of them. So when you talk about aged care in Australia, I'd like to understand, because when you and I had our previous conversation, you spoke about care homes in kind of a community setting. So is this... Well, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the United States. We have nursing homes, which can sometimes feel a little bit like warehouses for the elderly, especially for those who are low income. We also have assisted living or independent living where they have a little bit of support. So we have these different models, but it sounds like the Australian model is slightly different. Can you explain the the structure and what are these facilities like? Sure. The models in which Australia operates to some degree is similar, um, but different in the sense that, um, so we have home care packages um, in which a person can apply for, and depending on the level of care that's required will be dependent on the type of um, services that are provided to them within the home. So a lot of Australians have the, um, the desire to stay longer in the home. And so that option is available to them to have a personal care assistant to come into the home to look after the person. So whether it is to cook for them, to clean, to take them out to shopping or to doctor's appointments. So that's one model in which someone can utilize if they would like to stay at home and that they are still semi-independent with their ADLs. Then you have the second model in which the residents are no longer able to look after themselves in the home because they may have had a fall, which now results in them reliant on someone to look after them. Now, in some most cases, they can still be able to have access to level four packaging and someone could still be able to come in and assist them. But what I've seen in most cases is that residents that no longer can look after themselves will move into the residential aged care and that they will then be looked after. And there is also the private. So there are options depending on that person's financial situation. I see. That's good to understand. It's slightly different. And it's and I'm I just wanted to understand, and we're gonna come back to the whole millennial discussion in a moment, but I'm just focusing on your work right now. Now for for Australians, are you under a um, single payer plan where the government provides health care, or are you more on a more American style where people purchase private insurance? I just wanted to understand that dynamic. Sure. That would be dependent on um, each individual. Um, there is a lot of that government funding. Um, so an example of this can be if an individual would like to have assisted home care, um, depending on the assessments that are made from a financial perspective will be dependent on the gap in which they have to pay. The government will subsidise a portion of that, um, but then there are some elements of payment that will need to be contributed by the person. And so if the person is living on welfare, as an example, then that person will have a lot of the um, portion of that finance funded by the government and they would pay a small portion of this. Um, In residential aged care, Um, There is something called a RAD and a DAP, and depending on 
the person's financial situation, they could come in as a fully Commonwealth supported, which means that they don't make any payments coming in, but there will be contributions that will need to be made where the government provides that to the home. The other um, model in which we have is that um, they will pay the full RAD and that will then later be refunded back to the family. I see. Well, very interesting. It sounds complex and different than how we do things here. And I'd like to learn more about it at some point, hopefully visiting Australia. That would be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to have you in Australia. Yeah. Now, coming back to you, as a clinical nurse educator, clinical practice improvement specialist, you went from, like you like to say, from the bedside to the boardroom. And you are now a nurse for 10 years, or you became a nurse at 20? That's right, yes. And I understand you finished high school early and then went on to uni. So can you tell us what that was like? And how did you finish early? And what was it like going to what you all refer to as uni? Sure. So um, I graduated year 12 high school um, at the age of 17. And then I went straight into the bachelor's of nursing degree. And that was a three-year degree. So I finished that when I was 20. Um, And then from there, I um, ended up applying for a a role in emergency. And um, I guess the the nursing in Australia is... um, it's, it's quite broad in the sense that uh, we have the theoretical element of the training, but also the practical. So the last year of um, the nursing degree, there is a lot of practical. So there were six weeks of intensive in the job, at the hospital or um, wherever you've been placed um, training. And then after that, there would be a, an assessment component in which then you pass and then you progress on. So I was very fortunate that I was able to complete that in three years um, and then progress into the nursing, um, into emergency nursing. I see. Now, when did you first have a management or leadership position? How many years into your career? So just to give you a bit of a background about my career progression, um, so I started in emergency and then progressed into working for the um, detention health. Um, So I was working across um, Manus, Nauru and Christmas Island. And then from from that particular role, I then um, moved into working as a medical recruiter working for the Defence Force, um, doing vetting and um, occupational health employment um, roles. And then from that, I then studied and got into working as an educator. And then I sort of realised that, um, you know, there was a calling for me to go into a management role. And so I applied and ended up becoming a director of nursing at the age of, I believe, 27. Wow. Okay. And that was my first management role as a Don. At 27. Wow. So yeah. we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go right back into that experience of being a 27-year-old manager. I would like to talk about that. And then I want to dive more into your podcast and your plans for it and your more about your mission and your vision for the millennial nurse generation. Does that sound okay? Sure. All right, so we'll be right back for the second half of the episode. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. 
please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to nursekeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, nursekeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of episode 289 of the Nurse Keith Show. We are here with Star Dang. She is a nurse from Australia and she is the host of the wonderful, awesome Millennial Nurse podcast, which I've been avidly listening to recently. And the show notes will be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 289 if you'd like to connect with Star, listen to her podcast, and learn more about her. So Star, right before the break, we were talking about how you graduated from high school at 17, you went straight into uni, three years at university, came out with a bachelor's of nursing. And by the age of 27, you took on a management leadership position. So earlier in the first half of the episode, we were talking about, or you mentioned there's some challenges when a millennial becomes a leader because there's always at least three generations of people in the workforce. So you end up managing people older than you and more experienced than you perhaps. So What was one main challenge of becoming a nurse leader at the age of 27? Yeah, well, there was a lot of, um, it was a lot of it was a mindset thing as well. Um, You step in as a manager at 27, there is a lot of that imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. um, because you're managing people that are a lot more older and a lot more experienced in some regards. But what I came to realize is that, a lot of it is just a mindset. Um, often when a millennial nurse steps into a management role, the fear is always around, am I capable? Am I able to do the work? And what do others around me think of me um, in a leading position? And I have been very fortunate that I joined an organization that really helped to mentor support and encourage me to really step up as a leader. And um, I was blessed that I had a lot of mentorship. Um, I had a mentor coach that really helped me. And also there was a lot of mentoring programs available in Australia, which really helps millennial nurses to develop that extra skill that's needed to um, lead the team. But I guess from um, 
from my own personal experience as a millennial nurse, the, the main challenges really is, is really when you're leading a team that's much older than you, there is a need for you to be able to articulate the vision, um, especially in a senior management role, in a way that the team understands. But what I found was so integral and uh, the comments that have been made from the staff is that I adopt an environment where we make work fun. And I think that's so important because we spend so much time with each other than we do with our family that when we can create an environment where we can feel like it's fun and that we can feel like a family, mm-hmm. then the team, you can see that they thrive in that environment. And so that's always been my leadership style to make work fun, to make each individual feel like they are a part of the decision-making. That's excellent approach. Now, I want to dial back to something you said just a minute or two ago, that there is mentorship for millennials in nursing in Australia, and that you had mentors and people who were really there for you. So my question is, first, were your mentors at your workplace, were they official, like assigned to you, or were they just people who liked you and you liked and respected them and they just stepped in and, and wanted to to support you. How did that how did that manifest for you? Sure. So it was an official um, career coach that was hired. Um, so the chair and the well, now the patron, he um, is fantastic in supporting as well as the CEO at the time um, to engage with a career coach to help assist me. And that particular career coach was also a nurse or had been a nurse for quite some time, so about 50 years or so. And she really helped me to sort of break down some of the mindsets that I had around the imposter syndrome and really helped me to understand my leadership style um, and how I would be able to communicate my vision to the wider team. So it was a um, career coach. That's fantastic. Now, so your workplace hired a nurse career coach for you. Can I can I move to Australia like right now? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So they actually hired someone to be there for you. And you used a term, you said CEO, but then you said the patron. What is a patron? Because we don't use that term here. Right. Okay. So um so the the person that used to be the chair, um, he has now retired. And so he's no longer um, so much within the business, but he's the patron. He sits outside of that, still oversees all the overall operating of the home. But um, he's very much involved in, um, you know, making sure that the managers are well supported, making sure that the managers are equipped with the skills and competence to lead the team. And so um, that particular patron John Laurie, he's he's basically the organization. So just to give you a bit of context, the organization that I worked for um, started off with um, three women who identified that there was a need to support women um, back in the good old days in 1910, where women Hmm. were reliant on men for income, for uh, money to support them. And so when their husbands went to war, and passed away or they became widowed or they had mental health, that there was no housing to support them. And so the three ladies um, decided to um, create um, 
this home that allowed women to stay and live there and support them. And so I managed a female-only residential aged care facility in the Upper North Shore in Sydney, and it's one of the rare ones, and it's been in operation for now um, close to 100 years. And John was the son of one of the founding ladies. I see. So he's, in a way, he's your patron saint, actually, it sounds like. Basically. Right. Yes. That's that's very interesting. That's that's a very interesting story. I'd like to read more about that. So yep. as a leader coming in at 27, you you dug in, you you made you you put your stake in the ground as we say sometimes, and you set out your vision and it sounds like you mentioned that it's very important for a young leader like a millennial leader at this time in the 21st century to articulate very clearly what their vision is. Correct? That's right. Okay. And when you do that, what's the result if you can be clear and articulate and really lay things out, even for your, your direct reports who are older than you? What, how do they respond if you can be that clear? When you're able to articulate a vision to the team, what happens is that the team knows the goals that they're working towards. Mm-hmm. And when you've got a team where there is so much passion and there is so much compassion that they have in the work that they do. And it's bringing that to the fore and reminding them that this is why we are here and this is why you joined nursing or this is why you're in the aged care industry. And by continuing to um, promote that within the team and align that to the shared vision, I have found has been phenomenal The one key thing about articulating a vision is also incorporating the staff part of that vision and letting them feel as though they are a part of that. And the way that I have done this is that, you know, traditionally decision makings have always been kept at a high level with senior management. And what I realized from my experience as a manager is that the way that a vision is well executed as well as articulated is having the staff involved in that decision-making process because there are a lot of things that involve staff, for example, policy. Often policies are one of those that we develop in head office, but it's the people on the ground that are using those policies. So it's getting them part of that policy steering group and allowing them to be involved in that, um, allowing them to be involved in creating and developing that in consultation with senior management. So that when a policy is being put out there, that staff understand very well because they were a part of that process. So it sounds like a very inclusive form of leadership. Here we might call it in certain institutions, shared governance, where the nurses really have a stake in how things are done, how things are created and implemented, and they they actually have buy-in from the very from the very start. So it sounds somewhat similar to that that approach where everyone is everyone's involved, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is the future. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the future of um, the way that millennial nurses are leading. They're leading that collaborative teamwork. And um, I'm seeing that there will be more of that as we progress along. I see. Now, in terms of your podcast, let's talk about supporting millennial nurses in their early careers and then as they move into leadership. And let's face it, millennials are now the largest segment of the workforce, I think, in most countries, if not the entire world. So 
you know, I'm, I'm a, a older Gen Xer. So Gen Xers are starting to retire. The, the baby boomers obviously are retiring en masse and millennials are stepping in as the, the, actually the, the main part of the body of the workforce. So your podcast, I'm just looking at some episodes from season one. You had advice for a new graduate nurse, seven self-care habits essential for all nurses. You also had something about finding your purpose. And episode six, I really loved. It was how to stop caring about what others think of you. And then episode five was stepping into a nurse management role what to expect and should you do it? So <laughs> season one was 12 episodes where you really just kind of dove in head first. And it's wonderful that every episode of yours is, let's see, the longest one in season one was 12 minutes and 18 seconds, just like the Nurse Keith show. Mine are nice and crisp and short too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So was that a very specific decision to have brief episodes that are easily digestible, unlike the Nurse Keith show? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, so the vision for the podcast is bite-sized advice or conversations mm-hmm. that were relevant to current um, issues around um, millennial nursing. And as a millennial nurse, you know, we do get busy um, and, you know, we're, I, for me, uh, I find that short, sharp, to the point information is a very, very much so easily digested. And also the fact that, um, you know, starting off this podcast, the vision was really to get my message out there. And so when I started the podcast, I realized that I asked myself, you know, when I listen to a podcast, what would be my retention for a podcast? And I found that, um, you know, particularly when we're talking about, um, you know, career development that at some, at most of the time, the topics around that, um, being short, sharp and sweet is very easily digestible. Mm-hmm. And so that was the decision why I decided to, to have those podcasts, um, short so that the information is provided clearly short and, um, to the point. And then I also have the audience ask me questions either on LinkedIn, which I've had a few or on, mm-hmm. um, my Instagram as well. That's wonderful. Now, so that means that when you go back and listen to this episode, you'll hear the first 12 or 13 minutes and then that'll be it. I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> no, we, we want you to listen and everyone no, else to listen to the No, I will thing. definitely listen. I'm so glad. I'm, I'm honored. So now you're in, in season two and yes. there'll be 12 episodes in season two as well? That's correct. Yes. And do you do you hope to to build an audience that of engaged listeners do you, what what what's the vision where would you like this show to go because it sounds like you are here to stay and where else would you like to touch millennial nurses what are the what are some of the subjects that are really hot on your mind right now that you'd like to dive into in the months to come yeah So I guess, where do I see myself from here? I really Mm -hmm. believe that, you know, it's important to spread the message that millennial nurses 
are an important part of the workforce. And I know that, um, you know, you've spoken and promoted this message through your podcast and, and through your articles as well. And it's absolutely amazing to see that you are, um, you know, supporting the millennial nurses. And I'm such a big fan of yours. I know that in one of your um, podcast episodes, I believe it's episode 174, where you dive deep into the six reasons why you should love millennial nurses. Oh, yes, that's right. Yep. And one of the um, one of my reasons why I started that was you really did inspire me, and I believe that the messaging as a millennial nurse is so important to be able to allow other millennial nurses who are also um, going through some of the same struggles that I am going through or have gone through, and to be able to continue to share that uh, with them and how either I've overcome that from my own personal experience and journey or through interviewing others who can shed light and knowledge to the millennial nurse. So the vision for season two um, will be a lot of interviews with subject matter experts around um, self-care. In season two, I have a psychologist that I'll be interviewing, which he will dive deep into resilience and burnout and how to look after yourself um, and some strategies um, in times of stress and conflict resolution and really key skills that I believe all nurses need um, as part of their toolbox, which is, you know, crucial conversations that you have to have, whether as a manager to your staff or as an employee to your manager. So really equipping millennial nurses with those skills, but also promoting um, the next generation of nurses to step up into that leadership role. You know, if it's something that you've been considering and thinking about doing, how can you get there? And being a young nurse myself, I can share that experience and that pathway in which that I've taken to get me to where I am today. I see. That's a wonderful vision. And I just have a couple more questions before we wrap up. Now, first a statement, then a question. I've observed among among the millennials I know and those I read about and just sort of uh, interact with online is that your generation and the younger generations are quite fully accepting of other ways of living, other lifestyles. It's just normal for you that, yes, the the LGBTQ community is out there and they have complete rights to do whatever they want and they can live as they want to live. And now we're in the age of Black Lives Matter. We're looking at racial and social justice and, and racial disparities, socioeconomic disparities. So what is your take on why your generation has, in general, such open minds when it comes to these social issues that older generations have had a harder time accepting and digesting? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. In the current um, generation that we've been brought up, there is definitely more of a uh, messaging around the norms of accepting people for who they are, regardless life. And I think that's an important message. Growing up in a generation where a lot of things are spoken more of, um, especially with the LGBTI community. And I have a couple of very close friends that are part of that community who, um, you know, feel a lot more accepted now, more so than they have been in the last you know, 10, 20 years. And I think that all comes down to, um, you know, social media. There's a lot of that awareness now and that there's a lot of that awareness around the type of supports that are available for um, uh, 
uh, that community, but also, yes. but also the fact that it's people like us that are having these conversations about accepting and about not discriminating against people based on the decisions and the choices and the lives that they have. And I think that being able to embrace um, people for who they are is so critical and important. And I feel that millennial nurses are a lot more open-minded and because we are exposed to that, but also we are generating these conversations that we believe in that people should have equality regardless. Yes, and and that message, that idea of tolerance, sounds like it's it's very important to many people among the millennial generation. Absolutely, it. Yeah, and and you know when I speak to younger people, and issues around LGBTQ rights, et cetera, come up, and and or um, gay marriage, et cetera, they they shrug their shoulders like, why why is this even a thing? Like, why is this even a problem? Why is it an issue? So one thing I hope for millennial nurses is that you can continue as a generation, and I think this is happening already and will happen, to spearhead the changes within the healthcare system so that transgender people be receive better care, for instance, and people of color have more equity within healthcare. So do you see that as a vision that you think your generation can achieve? Absolutely. And I'm seeing it as it is um, in Australia. There is a huge, huge amount of awareness and education um, within aged care, believe it or not. Um, Mm -hmm. I had the honour a couple of um, months ago to visit a nursing home that were predominantly predominantly LGBTI. And it was... Oh, f- wonderful. And it was fantastic to see that, you know, that that is something that is more inclusive of and really breaking down those... Dis- Break, really breaking down those mindsets around people with LGBTI, especially the elderly. Um, I know in Australia um, there is for, um, you know that conversation to be made around, you know, what that looks like. Cause I, what I find is that a lot of the, um, a lot of the times people are not well informed. They're not educated in regards to, um, you know, that, but also, um, particularly in, you know, aged care, it's not something that's widely spoken about. And so it's great to see that now the government has also stepped in, in creating standards and creating policies that, protect and also acknowledge the um, uniqueness of each individual. That's fantastic. And I can't wait to see how this all continues to develop with your generation. And I'm a cheerleader here, just cheering you all on because I'm, I'm excited for what will happen as your generation assumes more and more power and more and more leadership in government, in healthcare, in industry and in technology. So I'm, I'm right here with you and, and just, just clapping as you, as you develop and, and step into leadership. So star, Thank you so much for spending the time. I know this is much longer than your normal podcast on the Millennial Nurse. (laughs) And if people want to find you, they can go to the Millennial Nurse and they can find you on Apple Podcasts and all the different podcast apps, correct? That's right, yes. Yes, and your website, I know as we're speaking right now, it's under construction, but it is stardang.co, that is S-T-A-R, dang, D-A-N-G, Co, and you'll have the social media links there as well? Yes, that's right. So they can also find me on LinkedIn at Star Dang and also on my Instagram at star underscore dang. 
Wonderful. We'll have all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Star. You're wonderful. And I look forward to having you back in 2021 to talk about how your podcast has developed over the the coming year. Thank you so much, Keith, for having me on the podcast. And thank you so much for allowing me to um, be a part of that movement in raising awareness about the next generation of nurses and our millennial nurses. So thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this awesome episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember to learn about Stardang and the Millennial Nurse Podcast, head over to nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 289. I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, and informed from this episode. And please take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal satisfaction and your professional development. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching, you know you only have to look to Nurse Keith dot com for your needs to be met. And please email me at Keith at nursekeith.com if you would like to discuss the possibility of engaging in some coaching with me. Now, the Nurse Keith Show is a member of Ars Longa Media, a collaborative network of podcasts, media entities, and others whose aim is to add a humanistic touch to professional education, educate the public from a scientific point of view, and improve lives by partnering to address social ills. Check them out at arslonga.media. That's A-R-S-L-O-N-G-A dot media. The Nurse Keith Show is also a proud member of the Health Podcast Network, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative, high quality podcasts taking on the tough topics in health and care with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. Head over to Health Podcast Network, where you can find Sanjay Gupta's Coronavirus Fact versus Fiction, the New England Journal of Medicine, Amplify Nursing, and many other high-quality healthcare podcasts. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappy-Speason is our stalwart social media ringmaster. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and friend of the pod, Star Dang, bidding you adieu from... Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. Thank you, Star. Be well. Thank you, everyone. And we will catch you on the flip side. 